Even on a budget, quality is non-negotiable. That's why Quince is the place to score high-end essentials at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Get your hands on buttery soft cashmere sweaters from just 60 bucks, Italian leather jackets, and so much more. And the best part about Quince? They exclusively partner with factories committed to safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Elevate your style without the elevated price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns. After the Apocalypse, a pandemic survival story. Season 2, Episode 14, No Good Choice. Mags knelt on the gravelly tar roof of the building and surveyed down the road. This was where the dog was leading her, but she didn't like being so exposed. She had climbed the rusty fire escape of this place to take a look. The dog was a professional. She knew that, but without knowing the German commands, she couldn't really control him like the old man had done. She hadn't worked with him. He was a good soldier, but they were still getting to know each other. He was leading her down an open highway. She didn't know if it was because there was no threat or if the dog was being careless. They were making good time. The dog seemed to be in a hurry. Maybe too much of a hurry. The smart move was to take a beat, find some high ground, and see what was up ahead. Being seen by a vehicle or catching a hot round from a sniper wasn't in anyone's best interest. She didn't know what she was walking into. She didn't know what the old man had walked into. All she knew was the dog had returned alone. The old man and the kid ran into something, something dangerous or even fatal. She was smart enough to be careful, but she had to find out. There was no good answer. Events seemed to be closing in on her. She couldn't decide which was worse, to be chased and shot at in an immediate danger or to lose everything by small cuts. Her strength was to focus on only those things that she could control, and she had been doing that. But still, all these things she couldn't control seemed to be tightening like a noose on her and the little band she was trying to serve and protect as best she could. Her kids. At least in a firefight, you know who the enemy is, and you can shoot back, she thought. She believed things had been getting better. She thought they were in the clear when they escaped across the river, that maybe God was on their side now. But her group was being peeled away, like bark chafed away from a dying tree, until all that is left is rot for the worms and beetles. First, the people they lost at the river— Then the old man and Brad. Now Willie had disappeared. It was down to just Bella and her and her kids. If things kept going like this, they'd all be gone. There was no good choice. Wait at the school for the inevitable encounter with more bad luck or flee somewhere else. She felt boxed in. Her choices were limited and she didn't like that. She felt trapped. She could have gone down the river and tried to find Willie to talk some sense into that girl, but she guessed that if the kid didn't want to be found, she wouldn't be found. And besides, Mags understood. The kid got spooked. 
That kid wasn't old enough to know that sometimes things get difficult and you can't always run. Like it or not, Mags was a leader now. A leader must control themselves and their emotions, especially when things start going wrong, especially when all the choices seem bad. That's the time to control what you can control. Focus on what can be done, not on what is in the past and can't be changed. She wouldn't be any help to her people. She wouldn't be any good to herself, even, if she started worrying about things she couldn't change. In the end, she had to get back to work. She needed more information. She needed to know what happened to the old man. It had been clear what Bill the dog had wanted to do. He was anxious to lead her somewhere. Certainly, going after the old man and Brad would at least give her some of the information she was looking for. But it might be fatal. In the end, not knowing held more risk than going. So, Mags took action. That's what the best leaders did. They seized the initiative, especially in the face of rapidly changing situations. Always better to stay on the front foot. Once you started reacting, the battle was lost. Make the enemy react to you. She had left with the dog to scout. She told Bella to wait a few days, and if they didn't show back up, to head south into farm country and find some place to live with the kids. It would be spring soon. They could survive. Mag stood. She dusted the gravel off and climbed down to rejoin the dog and keep going. The old man's neck was aching from being stuck at an awkward angle for so long. It reminded him of trying to sleep on airplanes. Back before the apocalypse, when there were airplanes flying humans around on their pointless missions, he remembered taking the red eye back from conferences, flying overnight to make it back for work at the hospital in the morning. There was no way to get comfortable sleeping in an airplane seat. You'd wake up with cramps in your neck. All that flying around and trading sleep for work seemed comically useless now. If he could go back in time and do things differently, would he? Hadn't Marcus Aurelius said to live each day as if it were your last? That stoic credo was momento mori. Remember that you will die. Remember that death is snatching your life away minute by minute. Camped out with his army in the forest of Germany as the Antonine Plague ravaged the Roman Empire. That old stoic would have felt miserably at home with this apocalypse. There was nothing the old man could do about his neck. Fighting the pain just made it worse. So he tried to relax into the discomfort, live with it, think the sting out of it. Tasker's men had come by earlier and dragged off the poor unconscious beggar hanging nearby. Now he heard the steady clomp of boots in the parking lot again. It was Tasker and Carl, the man with the ugly scar. The old man was too tired and uncomfortable to make any wise-ass remarks, although a few came to mind. He'd be better off holding his tongue with this freak show. Maybe they had come to release him. Maybe they had come to kill him. He didn't know. He really didn't care. Some sort of resolution would be nice. He had been hanging here for a day and had truthfully had enough. How are you feeling? 
Tasker started in, squatting down with his hands on his thighs and looking into the old man's face as it hung in the stocks. Have you reconsidered your sins? The old man didn't respond. He couldn't think of anything worth saying. He just grunted acknowledgment. Tasker continued, You may think these are harsh measures and wonder how a free man such as yourself ended up stuck, but the truth is none of us is free anymore. Don't get me wrong. Freedom will come, but we have to work and work together for it. We all need to serve the greater good of God and country now to make that happen and get back to the life as we know it. The old man heard the clicking of keys in the padlock, and the top board was removed from his neck. He could lift his head, but when he did, his neck screamed with shooting pains, and he grimaced. "'Easy, boy!' Tasker said as Carl unlocked the old man's hands as well. The old man raised his shaky fingers to rub his neck and looked up at Tasker through the veil of pain. "'What do you want?' the old man finally said. Tasker raised an eyebrow and said, I want you to not cause any more fuss and help me rebuild the world. The old man couldn't hide the contempt in his eyes, but replied, Fine, I'll do what you want. Just let me out of these things. But he didn't mean it, and he couldn't hide his anger at this petty torture. Tasker looked hard into the old man's eyes and stood up with a sigh, wiping dust from his chinos and turned to Carl. He hasn't accepted his law yet. Give him some food and water, and let's let him set for another day. Tasker turned to the old man and said, You need some more time to sit and think about it, but that's okay. He smiled. We've got time. With that, he turned to walk back across the parking lot to the building entrance. Carl handed the old man a paper bag with a bottle of water and a warm hamburger in it and said, I don't know why it bothers with all these games. If it was up to me, I'd just put a bullet in your head and be done with it. He turned his head and spat into the dirt, wiping his face with the back of his hand. The old man munched at the burger between slugs of water from the bottle. He appraised Carl. He asked, What's in it for you, Carl? Why do you put up with Tasker? Carl sneered, Tasker's a joke. I do what's best for me. The old man considered this. You know you're stronger than Tasker. You should be in charge. Make your own decisions. Don't you worry. His time is coming soon enough, Carl replied cryptically. The old man ventured. So, why don't you let me go? Tell Tasker I escaped. Carl laughed. Now, why would I want to do that? What's in it for me? Human decency, the old man offered. And Carl laughed some more. You're a funny guy. Then he got serious. Put your head back. I don't have all day. The old man wasn't in a position to object. Carl locked him back into the uncomfortable boards. As Carl was finishing up, the old man asked, Hey, can I at least have some more water? Carl looked around the parking lot and said, Sure, I can take care of that for you, buddy. He turned to face the old man. He unzipped his fly and began to relieve himself on the old man's head. There was nothing the old man could do but take it. He closed his eyes and breathed through his nose as the sharp smell of Carl's piss invaded his nostrils. There you go, Carl said with a snort. There's a big dose of human decency for you. 
Don't say I never did nothing for you. He leaned in close. You have a nice day now. Carl walked off, zipping his jeans and whistling, quite satisfied with himself. Bella watched the kids playing a game in the school courtyard. They had found some chalk and a tennis ball and were making up rules as they went along. They drew lines and squares on the cement. They tossed the ball and hopped from one place to another. This sort of play should have made her happy. She liked kids. She liked these kids. But all she could feel was fear and resentment, stuck here alone with them, Good old Bella left holding the bag. Again. Mags had left her gun, a small nine-millimeter pistol designed for concealed carry. Bella had it in her jacket pocket. She hated the feel of it. It felt like a hot cancer there against her side. Mags had shown her how to thumb the safety. In theory, no one would see Bella as a threat until it was too late for them, until she was up close and could let loose a few rounds into the unlucky attacker. Bella was pretty sure she couldn't do that. She hated guns. She'd seen a neighborhood family destroyed by a drunk with a gun. The image of that woman bleeding to death from a throat wound on the cement sidewalk was seared in her mind's eye, and that was before the apocalypse, before all this death and anarchy, before the king and his men. She knew the world had changed, and she needed to get comfortable with this new world of violence. She didn't want to, but she had to accept it as the new reality. Mags insisted. For the kids... Everything for the kids. What about something for Bella? What about something for Bella and all this death and chaos? Bella felt the dead weight of the pistol against her side and wanted to cry. Mags followed the dog. The dog seemed to know where he was going. He seemed sure of it. Bill was visibly annoyed when she stopped to spend the night in an abandoned house. She could have pressed on, but didn't want to try to navigate in the dark. Caution needed to be followed here. Now it was a chilly morning, and the dense fog had settled into the valley overnight. On the plus side, no one could see her in this pea soup. The drawback was that she couldn't see them either. She couldn't see anything, but she had an advantage— Bill didn't need to see to be alerted to the sounds and smells of an enemy. Bill was her secret weapon, an early warning system. Mags was glad to have him as he led her down the side of a two-lane highway into the thick, wet valley fog. She pulled her rifle off her shoulder and made ready. She could trip over someone before she saw them. After an hour of this, the rising sun started to burn through. Bill had slowed and was keeping his head low and alert. Mags was alert, too. She still couldn't see much, but she thought she could smell something. It wasn't smoke. There was plenty of smoke in the apocalypse, but this was different. It smelled familiar, sweet, like waffles. Her mind flashed with a memory of breakfast on Saturday morning with her dad and her younger sister at the Waffle House. The cooking smell of waffles and sweet syrup and savory butter. The dark acid smell of her dad's hot coffee. The warm feel of his presence. 
It was all there, a good memory, but now they were all gone. Her dad, her sister, gone. All those good memories now ending with the realization of loss. She dropped to a knee and motioned to the dog to hold. He seemed to understand and went into a crouch. Mag scanned the road ahead with the scope of her rifle. She could make out buildings of some sort through the dispersing fog. She needed to get off this road and find higher ground. There was a dirt road leading up into a wooden knoll on her side of the road. She began moving that way and motioned to Bill to follow. The dog hesitated. He looked in the direction of the buildings a beat before moving to join her. From behind an old oak tree, Mag scanned down at the buildings. Bill was lying next to her, watching intently. Most of the fog had burned off, and she could make out what lay below. A large, two-story, office-type building sat back from the road. There was a big parking lot in front of a gatehouse. She focused on the building, scanning along to the door. She looked hard to see if she could make anything out, but she couldn't. The windows were opaque in the morning sun through the lifting mist. Mags raised the scope to scan the roof and noticed a stack of sandbags and two men lounging behind them. They were smart enough to have guards, but not smart enough to train them to pay attention, she noted. There were signs of people and activity here. She dropped the rifle scope and looked around to make sure she was still in the clear. Looking down from her perch on the hill on the other side of the road, she could see the industrial park stretching out into the distance and was starting to comprehend why there was activity here. There was stuff here, buildings and supplies. There were survivors here. But what kind of survivors? Was it the Kingsmen or something new? She again raised the scope to her eye and scanned the parking lot. There were a few vehicles, mostly close to the door. The vehicles looked like they had been recently driven, or at least washed. The parking lot was clean of refuse. The facility was surrounded by an ugly eight-foot chain-link fence with barbed wire running along the top. Landscapers had tried to aesthetically mask the fence with an arbor vitae hedge, but that just made it look more industrial. Through the scope, she scanned right along the fence. She scanned past something that took a moment to register in her brain, and she quickly returned to it. She struggled to make out the details, maybe a pile of lumber, some cast-off pallets, but something was out of place. Mags rubbed her eye with a bald fist, tried to relax and refocus. There were legs sticking out, and greasy gray hair, and Jesus! It was the old man. What the hell? Bill growled, and she heard motors coming up the road. Two burnt orange Humvees came down the road and turned into the parking lot with speed. The first one shattered the wooden guard shack gate, and the second swerved to the side, catching the speed bump with one wheel and bouncing sideways. Mags watched, riveted, as the Humvees came to stop outside the building entrance, and men jumped out with rifles, shouting. The men on the roof were hiding behind the sandbags. "'Holy hell, Bill!' Mag said to the dog, leaning back into the cover of the tree. "'Something's going down!'
A lot can happen in three years, like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri Term Medical Plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states. Learn more at uh1.com. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters, May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Hello, my Survivor friends. How's it going this week? Here we are, episode 14 of season 2. And this, for you time travelers, is released on Friday, the 4th of March, 2022. And I'm also releasing concurrently, at the same time, season 1 of the podcast to the Amazon Vela serial feed. So every week I drop a chapter there from season one and the two channels are converging meaning i've been pushing the vela episodes of season one out every week but this only gets done every other week so that process makes up ground right on season two's bi-weekly cadence and they all converge it's all coming together uh when we finished season one last spring i had a starving artist go through and edit the manuscript clean it up for publishing I had her go in and remove all the editorial notes that I put in there for Robert, and I also tightened up some of the prose. And one of the things I asked her to do was to look at the paragraph structure, because when I write for audio, I write the cadence as spoken voice, because I'm used to writing for audio for spoken voice, and I write that into the manuscript. And the way I do that is I break it up into really tiny paragraphs. So I create the cadence with the paragraph breaks. And that makes it easy for Robert and I to have the same cadence in our heads, but it leaves you with a lot of short one or two sentence, sometimes even one word paragraphs, which I wasn't sure that made for the best reading experience. But it actually, I think it does. Anyhow, because we're getting, you know, we're all getting different experiences. You listening to the audio, you get one experience. And the way Robert reads the script is one of many different ways it could be read. I try to structure the prose so that the end product sounds kind of like it does in my head, but sometimes he does something different. And most of the time I'm okay with that because I go, oh, that's fine. That's an interpretation. That sounds good. And sometimes it's better. But you get the experience when you listen to it. It's a similar experience, but it's still being filtered through your through your head, right? Through your experiences. So it's specific to you and how you interpret. And I'm always amazed at the pictures that people have in their heads and how different those are from the picture that was in my head and what I was trying to describe, because I think I do a really good job of painting the scenes. So it surprised me when people come back and go, no, that's not what I saw. So anyhow, getting back to the Vela version, the serial version, the written version, and reading that in story form, that's going to be a also a different experience and as I when I put them up I reread them and I think that the short paragraphs actually flow really well especially in that format where people are reading it on their phone it makes the story less dense somehow much lighter it works 
And when I read it, I still hear that same audio cadence. I still hear the music, so to speak, in the words that I heard when I put them together. So what's my point and why do you care? Well, it's, I guess, more of an observation than anything else. But I would be interested to hear from someone who has read the Vela first and then gone on to listen to the podcast, to the audio, or vice versa, to see if their experience was different, right? Because I get into this with books, where you've seen the movie, and then you read the book, or you read the book, then you see the movie. And it can go either way, right? You can either like it or you can hate it. So right now I'm reading The Expanse, the first book of The Expanse, and I really like it. And just because I watch the show, I don't think that ruins it. And before one, for example, Altered Carbon, I think that's on Amazon as well, Altered Carbon. I had read the books beforehand, and I think that was an advantage, because if you hadn't read the books, you'd have no idea what was going on in that show. So anyhow, (laughs) by the time this story, or any story, gets to you, I've spent many hours, many hours of my time writing and editing, so I kind of lose track of the final experience of consuming it, so I appreciate that feedback. Links to anything that I'm doing is going to be in these show notes and the notes on the podcast here. If you look at the notes, you'll see all this stuff. The links for the podcast on Acast, the links for our Facebook group, the links for the Patreon page. If you want to throw me some donations, that would be great. The Kindle Vela story that I was just referring to and our merch store. So there you go. Anyhow, I hope everybody's hanging in there. May you live in interesting times. That's a phrase that you've probably heard. It's commonly attributed to a Chinese curse uh, when you use that ironically. May you live in interesting times. And that is most likely apocryphal, i.e. it was made up. And in this case, it was made up by the British fairly recently. And we, you know, we don't get to choose the nature of our times, interesting or not. Our job is to take it day by day and keep surviving. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details.